Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we welcome you to our service this morning. Um, we welcome Colin Bell for taking our service this morning. For the sermon later on, we'll be interestingly looking at a sermon. Um, it's in fact the only sermon we have from Paul to a church. Um, and the occasion of this sermon was that he was going off to Rome, um, and he, he thought he'd never see these people again, and that's, that turned out to be the case. So he assembled the leaders of this church, and he gave them some advice. And he said, this is how I think you should be leaders, and this is how I think you should run a church. And we'll be looking at that later, later on. Uh, From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to, to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that he would never see, they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Thank you, John. So as I said, um, this is surprisingly the only sermon that we, we get in the book of Acts that Paul gives to a Christian church. So it's quite important. Um, now Paul, as you probably know, spent most of his, his um, adult life going around various churches 
and preaching and, and leading them. So being a visiting preacher can be a bit of an odd experience. Every church does things slightly differently. So there's the issue of time. Some churches start dead on 10.30 or whenever. Some churches have a rather more relaxed view. Um, some say they want a 20 to 25 minute sermon, but the minute you go 10 seconds over 20 minutes, they start looking at their watches. Um, others say, give the same instruction, but they feel short-changed if you stop, up, stop before half an hour. Um, so if you know the church, you might know what's going on, but if you're going in cold, you, get some strain, you, get, might, you might do the wrong thing. There are some churches where you get happy, smiley faces throughout, and you laugh at the jokes, and you're usually one of those. Um, and there's some churches where you just get stared at the whole time. Um, although from the comments I got afterwards, the church that was particularly bad at this, it was really intense thought rather than boredom. Um, at least the people who spoke to me, anyway. Um, there's the church where the pulpit was so high that you couldn't see people's faces at all, and the problem was getting distracted about which gentleman had lost so much, how much hair since the last time you were there. Um, there was the church where they started saying Amen, Hallelujah at the end of every sentence, and the sermon lasted twice as long as it should have done. Um, and perhaps the worst experience, there was a church I went to several times where every time I went there, a lady walked in late, sat at the back, and then walked out again five minutes before the end of the sermon. Um, and the fact that she was the spitting image of my aunt didn't help. <laughs> um, now, fortunately, eventually I ran into her in the street and found out what the situation was, that her husband wasn't a Christian and had very strong views on when Sunday lunch should be served. So she had to disappear before the end of the service to go, and, to go into the next stage of the cooking. So she appreciated what she heard of the services, and um, she, she apologised for putting me off. But one of the advantages of being a visiting preacher is that you can say things that the regular ministers can't. Um, so, for instance, I went to London Bible College, and um, shortly before I left, an invitation came in from a church where they needed a, pr- a preacher at short notice. Um, so um, I, went, I went there and I gave him a sermon on part of 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about church conflict. And I was able to say, I don't know your church at all. I've never been here before. I'll probably never be here again. So I have no idea whether you suffer from conflict or not. But what I do know is that most churches do from time to time. Um, and I can say things that your minister can't. Because if your minister was to talk about conflict, then there'd be all sorts of questions about what's really going on in the diaconate, or who is she saying this about? Whereas I could go in and say it, and basically those things wouldn't be asked. Now, I think today's passage falls into the same category. Um, And I don't know, maybe that's why Kate Kate chose it, um, so that somebody else could come and speak on it. Um, there's There's a vast amount that could be said. I mean, I sort of wrote notes down, and I thought, actually, there are four sermons in this passage. And you're only getting one of them, so don't worry. Um, The big theme I'm going to draw out is what does it mean to lead a church? Now, if Kate were to preach on this, there'll be inevitable comparisons. Okay, so why is she drawn on that bit and not this bit? Is she trying to big herself up? Is there there somebody in the diaconate she wants to give a message to? Um, I mean, you don't want those sort of questions. You want to be able to preach on this. So I can come here. Um, I've only met Kate once because, for obvious reasons, I'm, I'm here when she isn't. Um, and I, I don't know what goes on the jack, and I can see the fruits of the church, and I can see, I say, this is, this is a generally well-run church. So I think there's, 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 there's good things going on. There's probably things going on which could be better. Um, that's for you to decide. But basically, I can come here and say things, 
give you some general points, and then you can go away and apply them without thinking, oh, what am I saying? Who am I saying this to? So that's the sort of introduction. I think there's, there's two questions I'd like to, to sort of think about um, as we go through. And I'm not going to answer either of these questions um, very much, they're, they're, but it's they, they're things that the, the passage speaks to. So the, one, the one, one big question is, there's a question of leadership versus Baptist governance. So um, as a Baptist church, we appoint ministers, but we also have a church meeting, and it's the church meeting that runs the church. Um, <clears throat> so how does leadership work in a church, in a church meeting model? Um, um, this, in, this, in this passage, Paul is talking to elders in the church, and there's obviously some sort of hierarchy going on. Um, but how do we deal with sort of leadership concepts when we have that kind of governance? Um, I'll come back to that a bit later on, but that's not something I, I can deal with totally. But it's something we, we need to think about as, as, a, as a Baptist church regularly, because it can cause difficulties. Um, and the second question is, there's a question about, do we serve God versus getting support from other people? So when I first read this passage, I thought there's, there's Paul is saying two very different things in the same place. So he's talking about his own ministry, which comes across as very individual and personal. In verse 24, he says, However, I, can cons- I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. So the implication here seems to be, he'll get on and do it, um, with or without the support of the churches. Um, and we see this elsewhere in his letters. So when he writes to the Corinthians, he says, you haven't supported me, but I don't want your support anyway for these various reasons. Um, the same is expressed in a quotation by Mother Teresa, which has been doing the rounds recently on Facebook. And she writes, if you are kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you find happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. For you see, in the end, this is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. So that's what Mother Teresa wrote. But in the second half of his talk, Paul goes on at some length about his care for other people. And he also says that the leaders should care for other people as well. Um, and of course, Mother Teresa is, is very well known for caring for other people. That's why I picked that quote. So there's difficulty here. Paul seems to be saying for himself, I'm operating as an individual, but everybody else needs support. So that's a bit of a tension. We're going to come back to that. But I think if you hold on to those two questions throughout what I say, um, it will help you to think about what's going on. So we're going to look at Paul's ministry as an example. Um, Firstly, because we know he was a good leader. Um, he, He founded many churches he built up many churches, um, we've got his writings. But actually, that also because that's exactly what he's telling people to do in this passage. So there's three main things he's t- saying about leadership. Um, the first one is hard work and sacrifice. The second one is preaching the gospel and truth. And the third is care for other people. So I'm not going to say very much about the first two. That's sort of, that's sort of some of the other sermons that could have come out of this passage. Um, and it's this particular sermon I'm going to preach is the one I feel I've been prompted to talk about. Um, so well, let's, let's cover those two so we've done for completeness, but I won't say too much about them. 
So Paul starts with the phrase, I serve the Lord. And if you were to sum up what, what we know about Paul, serving the Lord is a pretty good summary. Um, we've talked about the way he travelled around, he founded churches, he spoke, he wrote. Um, but he did all of this facing opposition and persecution um, from Jews, from Christians who didn't like the way he was taking the church, people in his own churches, um, other Christian leaders, and eventually the Roman authorities, basically everybody. Um, but it was a real blessing to him too. At least for most of the churches, um, there are exceptions, he seems to have had a really good relationship with them, and the church was broadly flourishing. Now, for those of you here, who were here for the Ephesians series a few months ago, I hope you'll have seen that, that the Ephesian church had some issues that needed to be dealt with, but fundamentally, Paul loved this church, and that church loved Paul. So the first thing to say about Christian leadership is, when it goes well, it's an incredible blessing, but you've got to work at it. It's usually hard work, um, and almost inevitably, you're going to run into people at some point um, who don't like what you're doing or you have sort of difficulties with. So that's the hard work and sacrifice. Um, the second one is preaching and teaching. And he says, I have not hesitated to preach anything that will be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Um, again, I don't think this is a surprise. Um, um, we need to learn, we need to develop, we need people to help us do it. Um, leadership generally, um, that's a big part of it, is finding out the people you're trying to lead, what do they need, how can you help them grow, how can you help them do what they may be doing. Christian leadership is like this again. So that's another aspect of leadership. Paul sums, and Paul sums up his teaching as follows, that they, may, they, they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Uh, and that's what we would regard as the heart of the gospel. So that's some of his teaching. So that's, so Paul has said, leaders need to work hard, leaders need to preach the gospel and truth. Um, so that's hopefully no surprise, but we need to say it. So let's move on to the main meat of what I want to talk about, which is care for others. And again, is there some sort of booming noise in the, in the sound? No? Okay, maybe it's me hearing something. So we're now going to move on to the, th- the third main aspect of Paul's ministry, caring for other people. And again, there are going to be sort of three aspects you talk about here. Um, but what's the first thing he tells the Ephesian leaders to do? It's not care for other people, it's keep watch over yourselves. So why does he say this? Um, I think there's a positive reason and a, rather, and a more negative reason. So positively, to provide an encouraging example to follow, to show the way, and to show so, something to learn from. So you think about how we learn things, this sort of idea of learning styles. We can be told how to do something, we can be shown how to do it, we can do it and have somebody who knows about it watch us and um, give us feedback, we can go away and practice on, on our own. Um, so um, what we end up with is the, it's the opposite of the rather unhelpful saying those who can do, those who can't teach because those who teach need to be able to do as well um, so if you can't demonstrate at least the fundamentals of what you're trying to teach how can people learn from you 
And I think there's a very helpful resonance here with what Jesus said in John 10. Um, So as you may have noticed, Paul is using the language of shepherds and flocks. Um, He's telling the the elders to be good shepherds. How will they know what good shepherding is like? Well, because Paul is a good shepherd. And where did Paul learn to be a good shepherd? Well, presumably, although he doesn't actually say so, by following the example of Jesus. And Jesus is the good shepherd. So that's the positive reason. If you turn it around a bit, um, if there's an aspect of the Christian life missing in yours, what right of you and how effective is it to tell somebody it's missing in theirs? Won't they just turn around and say, how about you? Um, So, for instance, Paul talks about generosity um, of money, um, I think also of time and of spirit. He had all of those in spades. And he shows how he'd done that first. So it's not that Paul needed to do perfect in this respect, not, not like Jesus was. Um, Paul did show, talk about his, his weaknesses and failures at various points in his letters. Um, but we do need to be moving in the right direction. So perhaps the, right, the, the better way of thinking about it is that we are saved sinners a bit further down the journey than the people which we're trying to lead. Um, and it's not just being an example either. Um, there may be aspects of our character as individuals um, or as a church which we, we might want to rejoice in because they enhance our care for the congregation um, or things we might need to work on. Um, and we see this again in Paul's letters. So we see, we've talked about Ephesians. Um, we have Philippians, which seems to be a nurturing church, but with two leaders who didn't get on. We've got Thessalonians, a very generous church, but slightly to focus at the end times. Um, the Corinthian church, rich but with vast numbers of moral problems, and so on and so on. Um, so I'd like to start this section by a, very, a quote from the, the Christian um, minister and author, A.W. Tozer. And he wrote, Do you know who gives me the most trouble? Do you know who I pray for the most in my pastoral work? Just myself. So I wonder um, how much that is true of us. Um, I, I read that and I thought, actually, maybe I don't do that as much as I should. Maybe I should be focusing on myself more before I go and try and help others. Um, it's not that we don't, don't pray for ourselves, but it's actually praying for ourselves in our care for others is important. So we've talked about looking after ourselves first. Um, the next one is, what is the role of a shepherd? Um, so what, if we're a shepherd, what are our responsibilities to the flock? Um, again, we're going to go back to, go back to the Gospels and Jesus. Um, and if we dig through Jesus' best-known sayings, we can find three. Now, if you're following the structure of the sermon at the minute, we started with three points. We're now in the second sub-point of three. And about to hit another level of three. But it doesn't go any deeper, so don't worry. Um, so one is from Jesus' commandments to Peter. He says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. So we've got feeding. Uh, one from a parable. We have a man who has a hundred sheep, and one wanders off, and the man goes off to find it and bring it back. Um, so we have um, sort of restoration. Um, and one from the teaching of the good shepherd, where he says that he will protect the sheep in the sheepfold. So as shepherds, we should feed our sheep... We should stop them wandering off, and we should protect them. Um, as Paul puts it from 
savage wolves who will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Um, so how does it work out in practice? So one element is certainly the key to the truth of the gospel, something we've already talked about. When Paul writes to Titus, um, again in the context of leadership, he, gives, he, he writes the following. Um, he describes what he thinks elders should be, um, and um, he thinks they should be men, but let's, let's not worry about that now. I'll, I'll, I'll put a he or she in. Uh, he says, he or she must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he or she can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now, there's two halves there, and both of them are important. The church has, in many times, at many places, been extremely good at making converts and disciples. Um, that's why we are here, um, and we have sort of millions of Christians worldwide. However, Christian history is also littered with churches, sects, and individuals who start off Christian, go astray, and then end up in something um, which is sort of looks Christian on the surface, but if you look underneath, is almost entirely something different. Now, it's a big challenge for us in our age. We live in an age when it's not really the done thing to tell people you are wrong or you can't believe that. Uh, our culture says anybody can believe anything and we have to live with that. Um, but actually, it was equally a problem in, what, in Paul's, Paul's day. Um, he is warning the Ephesian church to keep to, keep to sound doctrine or else things, things will go wrong. Um, and that's unfortunately exactly what happens. Um, by the time we get to Revelation, we get quite severe warnings about what they believe. And 50 years later after that, the church has gone altogether. Um, there wasn't an Ephesian church at all by the middle of the second century. So for our, so for our sheep, we need, to, we need to feed them good stuff, but we need to protect them from the bad stuff as well. And we certainly need to stop them wandering off. But also, feeding isn't just about knowledge, which brings me on to the last element of caring, which I've labelled valuing the sheep. Um, and there's a couple of bits and pieces. Um, there's an enormous amount I could say about this. I'm just going to come across, come across two sort of key, key aspects and then leave the rest, I think. Um, John Stott, in his commentary on Acts, wrote... wrote um, he made the point that in this passage, we see the whole trinity involved in caring for the flock. Um, so they're described as the flock of God the Father, they're purchased by the precious blood of God the Son, and they're supervised by overseers appointed by God the Holy Spirit. Um, so Paul is, is giving a very Trinitarian, a very holistic view of caring for people. And he says, very rightly, if the Trinity value our flock that much, then how much should we care for them? Um, so we are leaders, we have the responsibility, how much should we be caring given the Trinity has valued them that much and, and gone to that much effort to bring them to making the flock in the first place? It's a big challenge. Um, and in parallel to that universality, we should care for all the flock in all the ways. We have minds, we have hearts, we have souls, we have bodies. They're all important. So it's not just about feeding the mind with scripture. Um, it's about feeding our hearts um, about nurturing, about caring of people who are struggling emotionally. Um, it's about getting people together. It, it's, about, it's about sort of praying for physical health. All of these things come into, come into leadership. 
Um, they're all important to God, so also be important to those caring for them. Um, and the second element is looking at the way Paul did ministry. Um, and what he's descri- this has been described as open-hearted identification. Um, Paul didn't see himself, as many in those days did, as a sort of spiritual guru who wandered around. Um, there was a very standard model for teachers in those days. So people travelled around, they gave talks, um, they expected rich people with houses to put them up and give them food in return for their teaching. Um, and, and hopefully they had something to say that people wanted to hear, or they were at least interested in. And actually, today we've got the same pattern. We've got people on the internet who give advice of some form. We talked about advice. You can find any number of people who write or produce videos saying, this is how you should do this, whatever it is. Um, and then you watch the video, they sell you a book, they sell you courses, and people make money out of these kinds of things. Um, and some of these people are really good, and some of these people are really just charlatans making money off, off um, people who haven't sort of looked into it enough. So they might be into management, they might be into self-help, they might be into fitness, they might be into some hobby or whatever. All these, there's, there's enough of a market for this kind of thing. Um, and some Christians operate this way as well. Um, if you think about the kind of Christians who've got programmes on the sort of TV networks, on the radio, um, a lot of them, it seems their main focus is this kind of ministry. It's making a TV programme which people like, asking for money, and that feeds back into the TV programme and things. Um, now, again, some of, this, some of this is very good. Some of it is not so good. Um, I'm not going to go into, into why. We need to be slightly cautious. But what Paul did is something very, very different. So in a given city, he did start out giving a few, giving a few talks, finding people. Um, but then he moved in with people. Um, he lived in these places quite a while. He was in Ephesus, I think, two years. Other churches, six months, quite a long period, helping to get the church going. Um, he was working in his tent-making business, so he didn't need financial support. And he got alongside the people. He found out their needs. And quite importantly, he got alongside everybody. So he wasn't just going around the rich people who had spare time and spare money. Um, he was going along the other tradesmen, the slaves, um, the women. We, we, see all this, we see all this in Acts. Um, so he was actually trying to find out what all the people needed and supporting all of the people. Um, and there's been a good example of that in the UK about um, 20 years ago. Um, how many of you have heard of, of Withenshaw in Manchester and the, the Christian project there? Is that known? So I think, this, I think this is a sole survivor project. What they did was they saw there was a deprived area of Manchester called Withenshaw with basically no churches in it. So um, what they decided to do was to plant a church there. Um, and they had a big campaign to get people to actually move into this area. So this is a really grotty area of Manchester that no one, most people didn't really want to live in. But lots of Christians moved there, founded the church. They got alongside the people who were there. Um, um, they founded the church, and they were, but they were able to really deal with the social needs as well in a way they wouldn't have done if they just founded a church and commuted in from other parts, other richer parts of Manchester. Um, so I think that's the kind of model that Paul would have approved of. Um, that, that, that leaders should get alongside the people. So I'm not going to argue for the sort of tent-making principle. I mean, there are, there, there are good reasons for, for um, Christian leaders who have other jobs as well. 
And there are also good reasons for having Christians, Christian leaders who set aside completely to be Christian ministers, um, as we do with Kate. Um, so I'm not going to get involved in that debate. But I am going to argue for the point that, that Christian leaders need to get alongside the people to understand what's going on. So finally, I'm going to turn all this around. Um, I've said a lot about Christian leaders. Now, I don't know how many people here are actually officially leaders in the church. Probably not very many. Um, but remember I talked about Baptist church governance in the church meeting. Now, if you're a church member, um, or even if you're just in the congregation, um, then we all have a responsibility to help lead the church. So we are all leaders in our own way. And I do wonder whether, whether the fact that Paul is speaking to leaders for, in this passage, is just practicality. Um, he had to summon them about a day's journey from Ephesus to the port to give the talk. So he just invited the, the handful of leaders who could make that journey rather than, say, the hundreds of people in the church. It wouldn't have been practical. Um, so I'm going to argue that we are all leaders. So everything I've said about leadership applies to all of us. Um, and it applies for us as we look at our leaders as well. So just as our leaders love and feed and nurture us, we should do the same for them in all the same ways. Um, and there's the phrase, it can be lonely at the top, and that goes for Christian leaders too. Um, it's difficult being at the top of an organisation. So we need to encourage them. And we need to pray for them. We need to show our appreciation for them. And yes, we may need to, to um, set them straight when things go wrong. So actually, I think this gets a bit also to the heart of our question about whether Christians should go to alone or expect from others, help from others. So maybe not expect help from others. Sometimes we're in a Christian ministry and we just don't get help for whatever reason. But fortunately, for the majority of the time, we do get help and it's most welcome. <clears throat> so Paul may say, his life is worth nothing. But God values his life, and it seems clear that most of the churches he works with values his life. In the same way, we should carry on striving for what God wants, whatever that is. But a lot of what God wants us to do is to support our fellow workers, to value and uphold them, and so that they can strive and succeed better in their work. <clears throat> Um, and I'd like to say that particularly about Kate. Um, Kate, I think, um, from what I see at, at One Step Removed, is striving to make this church more the church that God wants it to be and to look after all of you. So we as a church should support Kate in that in all the ways we can. And the result of that will be that Kate will, be, will, have, will, will have, um, do better in her work in, make, in making this church better. So it's a win-win situation. <coughs> so I started with two verses from Ephesians. So I want to come back, come back to those to finish. I read, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And also... We are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now those two verses are about a dozen verses apart in Ephesians, but I think they do link together. And they link together in this way. 
Most of the time, this dwelling where we are together is precisely the place where the good works happen. And God living in us together by his spirit makes them happen, happen better. Um, so let's, let's be nurturing to one another, whether we're leaders or whether we're, whether we're not officially leaders. So Paul gives the following blessing to, to the people he's speaking to, which I share with you. He says, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen.